Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Good afternoon. This is Sarah with OGGN. I've got Nick Vandeveer, CEO, and Joel Ron, Chief Technology Officer for ThoughtTrace. Welcome, guys. Thanks. So you guys are with a company called ThoughtTrace, right? That's correct. But Nick, let's start with you. Can you tell me a little bit about your background before you started? Sure, yeah. So my background before joining the company, I uh, after getting out of college, I uh, spent four years in the U.S. Army and then uh, worked in government for a little while after that before transitioning into the private sector in 2010. Okay. And Joel? Yeah, so my name is Joel Ron. I'm, I'm an engineer by education. I spent most of my career prior to ThoughtTrace in, in the upstream sector of, of oil and gas, doing a variety of things, both, both on the operations and, and business side of, uh, of the business, onshore as well as offshore and, and international assets as well. I would say in, in most of those roles, took more of an analytical position in regards to how I handled data and, and how we ultimately use use that data to make decisions. And so coming over to to ThoughtTrace as CTO has really allowed me to kind of bridge that gap between more of the applied business problems that we try to solve and, and how we use technology uh, to do that. Okay, and great. And so ThoughtTrace is actually the sponsor of this podcast. That, so thank you guys for sponsoring us. Can you tell me a little bit about the company? You know, what are you guys doing? Yeah, certainly. So our our main focus as a company right now is on trying to bring to light a lot of the uh, the facts, if you will, that are that are buried in complex legal documents uh, to bring those those to light. Mostly in the oil and gas space right now, but we're specifically upstream oil and gas. But we've, we're really expanding out into uh, into midstream and the services side as well. So a consistent theme we've seen is that companies know a lot of what they do know, but there's there's also a lot of sort of hidden trap doors. Uh, in their agreements as well. And our customers have been able to leverage our technology to really bring those things to light and ultimately not just get more efficient, but identify new data that shapes better decision-making. Okay. And so I think when we were talking at lunch, you guys mentioned that it's not just an OCR tool, right? I mean, we all recognize that there's the ability to OCR. And what does that actually stand for, Joel? Yeah, so OCR is optical character recognition. Okay. And OCR is really a, a pretty commoditized technology. It's it's been around for quite some time. And, you know, in a nutshell, it, it's the process by which you, you take a, an image, whether it's in a PDF or a JPEG or whatever it may be, and, and take that image and actually transform it into into text. So so digitized text. And again, that, that process has been around for, for quite a while and, and there's quite a, a lot of, of technology that supports it today. And and to date, most people have used that as kind of their foundational platform to go in and do any sort of document or or contract research. Just, you know, looking control find within a within a searchable PDF is essentially looking through that text to find keywords. And where our software really comes in and where our IP really comes in 
is not just searching for keywords across documents, but actually using machine learning and, and you know, the fundamental semantics of the language itself to make inferences about the, the meaning of the text. And we do use that through a variety of methods, broadly speaking AI, but, but we use machine learning and, and some other uh, natural language processing techniques to actually create meaning around that text and ultimately deliver that to, to the user in a, in a software application. So to put it kind of in a real life application, you can go and pull, say, 10,000 mineral leases. And if you're going to be having to do a servitude or run a pipeline and you're needing to know a certain needing to pull all from a certain area and then look for a particular notice provision or something like that. That's what the software helps with? Precisely, yeah. So whether it's around like an, an acquisition and due diligence scenario or a new venture that you're looking out and getting into or a variety of like day-to-day kind of fire drills that, that various businesses might deal with, we try to build very applied domain knowledge into the models that we build. So we're not looking for just generic language that talks about insurance, right? If, if we're building an insurance provision, we're, we're, we're building out the, the relevant domain knowledge that's required to answer the actual business questions that are being asked of it. So whether that's, you know, assignment language in a, in a divestiture or an acquisition, or whether that's around continuous development or abandonment provisions within surface agreements, those sorts of like day-to-day questions that people are actually going to be asking of their documents is, is how we try to try to build the models. Well, I mean, what I first heard about you guys, I guess, in March at the Society of Petroleum Engineer Tech Symposium, it was the Entrepreneur and, and New Technology Symposium. And I think, I can't remember exactly, but anyways, we had lunch and we've been talking and I said, oh, this would be great for have this technology for master service agreement and other contract review that me as a lawyer does on a day-to-day basis or somebody in-house at various entities is having to review contracts and to determine if certain provisions are in there, if they're missing, right, all that kind of stuff. So you guys have really had a foothold on the leases, right, but you're evolving the technology all the time. So what's coming up yeah, working that's a, on. yeah, that's absolutely correct. Joel can can probably uh, best address what's in the pipeline in terms of in terms of agreements coming out. But if you think about it, our our focus is not just on being a technology platform. It's ensuring that if we're going to build something, that on day one we release that it's going to work for our clients. So we do that with leases and right away agreements today. As we expand out into these other domains, MSAs and legal being one of them, we want to ensure that the product that we actually put out there is something that's going to be relevant and useful. Uh, immediately for our for our client base, and Joel, you could probably touch on what we have coming out here in the next uh, in the next few releases. Yeah, so we, as we talked about, started around oil and gas mineral leases, and that was a you know, if you think about the problem itself, it's a it's a situation where companies deal with large volumes of documents and and a lot of times highly complex in nature, right? And so that's really a a sweet spot from a from a machine learning standpoint. In terms of in terms of how you can leverage technology to to make that job more efficient, and more effective at the end of the day, and so if you if you think about similar domains where where that exists is is where we're starting to progress towards. So we've recently released models that that deal with surface use and right of way. Okay. So from an upstream and a midstream standpoint, <laughs> um, as well as other industries that that utilize large amounts of surface would be applicable as well. And so that's something that is in production now. 
and, and companies have started to get quite a lot of value from. Subsequently, now what we're focused around is more of the, the midstream and downstream sector in regards to gathering and processing agreements. So broadly speaking, you know, commercial arrangements around the, the handling of hydrocarbons, in this case, oil, gas, natural, natural liquids, natural gas liquids. And then secondly, uh, as you mentioned, around master service agreements, Again, more targeted at, at the service industry of of the the oil and gas domain, but but I think you know more broadly speaking, kind of kind of heavy industry manufacturing um, would be applicable within the master MSA arena as well. And then you guys, you can actually help tailor and customize the software, right? So if a client comes to you and starts using it, you then work with them to help make sure that they're getting the maximum benefit. So for those of us that are not technical, but can you just give a little bit of background on how that actually works and that process of customizing software, right, for the end user? Yeah, so it's actually, I wouldn't call it customizing necessarily okay. because we do build on on a platform that's usable by our broader customer base. But with that said, you know, like I'll give an example, like with oil and gas leases, we started with 30 some odd different provisions. And now we're well over 240 different provisions that we identify in that model. And so the, the evolution of going from 30 to 240 in the same situation for surface use and right of way as it will be for these other contract types that I've just mentioned is really more of a, of a dialogue with our customers in terms of what's important to them and continuing to build that out. But once we build it out for a single customer, it's then usable by the rest of the community as well. So, you know, our view on that is that, you know, insofar as our customers benefit from being able to, to garner additional insight, so too do we benefit from being able to sell a, a more complete software product at the end of the day. So it really is a two-way street, and I think I think customers really appreciate that kind of community mindset to the models themselves because they have confidence that they're getting a, a more a more broadly tested view of that analysis rather than just something just being siloed to to their own point of view. Right, and sometimes you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what to ask for until it's there. And you right. thought, oh, yeah, right. I wish I'd had this all along. So who's the primary user of y'all's product right now? You know, it really varies. It kind of it kind of depends on use case with the client. So we have clients that uh, use our software from everything from sort of day-to-day administration of their contracts and data to application or acquisitions and divestitures to uh, folks that are kind of Joel mentioned the the term fire drills, but they they have discovered that there's a something they need to go uncover to figure out if they have an obligation within the agreements themselves that they didn't realize. So, like that spans a lot of different user types, from analysts to attorneys to folks that work in work in A and D and M and A and all points in between. And the way in which they engage with the software varies as well. We have we have users out there that are very data centric, and they just want to get down to the like get me to the raw data, and then we have other other people that are engaged in very serial processes and are using it to just become more efficient in their day-to-day tasks. So it really depends, but but ultimately we see our customers usually start off in one of those three areas and then quickly begin to engulf the other two as well in a very positive way. I mean, it, it grows because it works. So we don't have a bias really one way or another where someone starts, but we want to be supportive as they take it into other business functions. Yeah, that, that's exciting. So for you guys personally, you know, Business is growing. Yeah. I think I was talking to one of the guys that you guys are looking for some good 
code writing engineers in the Houston area, right? So thoughttrace.com apply now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Data so scientists any, and developers. Yeah, if absolutely. anybody's looking anything else, I mean, you know, is there something we've got listeners all over the world, you know, is there something else that you guys need? And I'll tell you what, listeners are so good about reaching out and helping each other. And that's one of the things I really love about our industry, right? Is that we are a relatively small industry. And we were saying earlier at lunch that People are jerks and reputations get around. So, right. you know, is there something, is there anything else that we have people reach out all the time that you guys are looking for or need? You know, I'd, I'd say interesting and marketable use cases. If it's, if it's something that is overly niche and it's a problem for only one or two companies, I mean, we, we're pretty transparent and forthright that it, like those are probably not things that make sense for to invest, us to invest in. But if they're, if they're issues that uh, are pretty common and are kind of tough problems to solve, that's really what we specialize in. So if it, if it has to do with unstructured text, if you will, those sort of things that you would find in contracts uh, or other, other document types, and it presents a challenge and, and a challenge that is tough to solve, uh, those are certainly things that we want to we want to look at, and we'll we'll be we'll be transparent with potential customers as well or, or partners out there as to whether or not it's a good fit. You know, we we've had folks come to us in the past with it'd be really cool if you guys could do this, and it would, but there's already a good solution out there for it, so we don't hesitate to say, yeah, it's a great idea, but it, try this thing that already exists, and and you know, let, let's make that work. But ultimately, yeah, if there's a good use case and it's a good fit for us as well, then we're we're open to uh, ideas and potential partnerships and things like that. Okay. And so then that raises a question, you know, confidentiality is something that everyone's concerned about. And if anyone's heard me speak, I've been on a cyber insurance kick lately and making sure that everyone's got cyber insurance yeah. coverage from my client's perspective. How do you guys maintain the confidentiality of documents? And so if I, if I upload a lease into the software, how do I know that my competitor is not going to get a hold of that lease? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and, and one that, you know, we've had to had to really, I would say, educate the community as a whole on in, in terms of making people feel comfortable. But it, it's absolutely a priority for us in everything we do. So first and foremost, we're, we're SOC 2 Type 2 compliant, which really validates our commitment to having solid processes around security, both internal to, to the company and externally in terms of how we architect the applications at the end of the day. So that is, I would say, first and foremost. Secondly, in terms of in terms of how we implement the the software itself, we, you know, like a lot of SaaS companies, utilize what's called a, a multi-tenant architecture, where across the customer base, we use a shared set of infrastructure. But in keeping with, you know, the 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 high attention towards data privacy that that a lot of our customers have. We keep each of those data repositories completely isolated from each other. So we have a little bit of a hybrid, uh, I would say, architecture, which is somewhat unique for a, for a software as a service company. But it's something that we've done and, and are committed to, to continuing to do to maintain, you know, the highest data security and, and confidentiality requirements that we can. And then do you guys train people, you know, because... I see, I've watched you guys do the demos. And actually, while we're talking about that, is there a place where, how do people know, how do they go and find out information? I think that we're going to have a website, right? That's going to be your website and then slash podcast. So they can actually go and I'll get that for everybody at the end of the show. Or they can actually go and sign up to see a demo or get more information. 
Yeah, so we have a, a number of videos that have been posted to YouTube. Okay. We also have have a website that includes, you know, kind of stories around use cases and industries that we've targeted as well. I would say one of those two two uh, mediums is probably the best source to actually get out there and and see the the application in action, particularly in a in a video setting off of uh, off of YouTube or something like that. Yeah, I would add to that as well. Like in in the in the app itself, because it, from a user adoption standpoint, I think one of the great challenges with software is that you can have a really cool product, but if people really don't have a, a guide in helping them use it, then it's it's kind of pointless. So we have a lot of stuff embedded in the application itself where, where again, there are videos or literally step-by-step walkthroughs that'll take somebody through virtually any anything you can do in the app. And it'll like quite literally walk them through the kind of like the recipes of baking a cake, that sort of thing. So we do try to make it absolutely as easy to use as possible. And then we have a very robust support and customer success capability that backs that up as well. So there's the there's the automated answer right in the app itself, and then there's the you can always pick up the phone or, or email and get a person on the line as well. We've also recently rolled out what's called Alley University, and it is a kind of repository of videos and how tos, use case demonstrations, those sorts of things, where you know quite literally a user can go get educated not just on our software but on what questions they should be asking of their leases or what questions they should be asking of their documents and how they would actually go implement such a thing in, in the application itself. So that is really kind of a platform for, for training and enablement that, that we've recently rolled out. And I, I think we'll, we'll see us continue to, to build on that as we, as we go forward. Yeah, that, that's exciting stuff. So you guys talked about test cases. What's one of your favorite stories or application that maybe surprised you? Yeah, so we had, you know, I, I mean, there, there have been quite a few good ones. One of the most recent interesting ones, we had a, a customer in Houston that, uh, and this is an upstream oil and gas example, but they had to figure out where they had what's called a continuous drilling obligation, but an obligation within within their leases that obligated them to uh, uh, to drill a certain number of wells per year after the primary term, that sort of thing. They wanted to find not just that, but they also wanted to find where they did not have the option of using a sputter rig, like one of the smaller rigs to actually hold that acreage, right? And for this customer, it was before they came on board. We we essentially proved that out to them in a, in a proof of concept, like in an afternoon with a couple hundred of their leases. And they very quickly thereafter uh, became a customer and were doing that in production. But for them, and this is a you know, medium-sized E&P company. Like these things are financially meaningful, right? It, it, it's it's not a marginal improvement in terms of data quality. It's not just getting a little bit better, but it really changed the way they think about land administration and land and risk and obligations and opportunities and all of that. So, I think that's the coolest thing for us is when when we see with our customers, like they they have taken the software and they've they've leveraged customer success. Maybe they're leveraging Alley University, but they've taken that and they are they are running for themselves and they and they begin to use the software in ways that we didn't even anticipate. Anticipate that those are some of the coolest things to see, and, and we see that more and more uh, as time goes on. Yeah, and I mean, I think the first thing that think people think of when they hear artificial intelligence or machine learning is, you know, a scary robot that's taking over the world or going to take away our jobs. Skynet. Yeah, yes. there you go. Right, yeah, and sure. but we've in the conversations that we've had over the past few months. One of the things I'm so excited about is that it actually lets people do their job as opposed to wasting time searching for the information and trying to compile it into a meaningful way that it can be analyzed. And so you're really not 
taking the place of people, right? You're just enabling them to do their work better. Yeah. So do you have a recommendation for, you know, say we've got a listener that's frustrated with the current processes of their job and they realize that there's some tools out there that could really help them, but they're getting pushback because of this misconception of machine learning or AI being a scary thing and taking away our jobs. How have you guys seen that and combated it? And what, ex- what, what advice do you have to somebody that's trying to overcome that within their organization? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the single biggest thing is not just for us, but like AI and machine learning in general. And I get it. I mean, there's a ton of hype around this. There's a lot of noise out there, certainly in the marketplace. And, and uh, like a lot of lofty expectations that uh, maybe maybe AI will live up to eventually, but, but it's going to take a while to get there. In the interim, I, I, I think if I were if I were considering these these questions, the thing that I would want to know is that more than anything, AI brings value because it allows you to create new information that otherwise wouldn't exist. That you, like you don't have the time or maybe sort of the expertise in terms of your bench. You just don't have the time to get the, these things or the capability of doing so. Being able to to take AI and leverage it to create new data, new information ultimately will drive much better decisions. So will the nature of somebody's work change? Yeah, it may change a little bit, but you're going to have folks go back to the land example. You're going to have folks in operations that are going to be asking you for things that they didn't before because now you have a new set of tools that allow you to do different things. And I I think that's the important distinction with AI is it's not just about getting 10 or 20 or 30% more efficient at the thing you did yesterday. It's about doing something new tomorrow that you could never do before. Right. Right. And not even knowing. Yeah, not even knowing. And and that's the the important thing. I, I would say the other piece of advice I would give to folks that are listening out there is like, don't take people's word for it. Ask them to prove it to you. Like our, our, it, it, it's something we do in our process, but I, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there and you got to be able to penetrate that fog. Right. So like have somebody show you what it actually can do with your data in a, in a meaningful way. Like if, if, if it's a product that works, they should be able to do that. It's something we do consistently and we bake it into our entire onboarding process. So I, I think that's important. Yeah, not too dissimilar from that. I I would say, you know, machine learning and AI aside, I think the trend you're seeing is is that people are just more analytically minded around around data in general, which is a good thing. I think people, you know, when when they use data as a foundation for decision making are 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 more objective and and probably make better decisions. And so what we do, I would say is not like make decisions for people you know, in the world of text and unstructured information, you know, data is not really available. Like people have not thought about that information as data. And and really, I would say at, a, at the core, what we try to do is take unstructured information and create it into data so that, so that you know, end business users can then go use that in a more analytical way to, to make better decisions. And so I think people, you know, if they, if they take that view, towards their job as, hey, I'm more of a, of a data analyst than, you know, a reader, they would get a tremendous amount more utility out of an application like ours. And, and ultimately, you know, that's what professionals are, are paid, what they're paid to do is, is to make decisions and, and, and analyze the information at hand. And so we just try to facilitate a, an easier way to do that. Okay, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for visiting with me, y'all's office here. Where are we? Just south of Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. We're we're in uh we're technically we're right outside the Woodlands, but it's a Magnolia address. Okay. Next to the ACB if anybody's <laughs> counting. It's yes. the Silicon Valley of South Montgomery County. <laughs> That's how people think of it. I love that. Okay. Anytime. So 
thank you for having me. You really do have a beautiful campus here. It's time for our thought trace thought of the week. If you had a crystal ball, what will be the biggest game changer in the energy sector over the next 10 years? So we are a AI and machine learning company, so you have to give that plug. But, you know, I would say aside from that, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the kind of the demographics in the industry and how you've had this this transition of, you know, the old guard. And you have a, a lot of younger professionals in the industry at this point. And, and that transition is, is underway at the moment. And so I think I think what you'll see in that regard is that like the younger generation has a much more, I would say, rich history of actually dealing with software. And so I think you will see, you know, right now, I think a lot of companies are dealing with data itself and managing that better. And I think as they transition through that through that process and manage their data better, I think what you'll see is individuals across all disciplines, whether it's legal or engineering or geoscience or other non-technical portions of the of the business as well leveraging not just external software but internally developed software in a much uh, a much larger way as individuals get in there and they they build their own applications or their own processes or own their own automated workflows on top of the the data foundations that are that are kind of being built at the moment and so i think i think the skill sets that people are coming in with are much more data technical and and you'll see that become more of a more of a of a community skill set than where it is today, which is more of I would say a, a niche and kind of isolated skill set within within a lot of those companies. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think people are finally starting to realize the value that data has, and I'm trying to influence in the contract world of allocating the ownership and responsibility for data. So I, I don't have the answers yet, but I do think that data is going to be a game changer for sure. So I'm not going to give a data or software answer for this necessarily. So if the question is what over the next 10, let's call it 10 or 20 years, what are the largest changes we're going to see in the oil and gas industry in the United States? I, I, I think we're going to see a much larger oil and gas industry in terms of, uh, in terms of investment and people that, that work in this industry. Like the growth of U.S. natural gas exports is no secret and oil as well. And the sort of the political nature, geopolitical nature of oil and gas is also no secret. If the U.S. continues to be a reliable trading partner for many countries around the world, I think the move away from coal and towards natural gas is going to drive a lot more growth here than than people are perhaps thinking about today. And that presents not just an exciting opportunity for us here in the United States, but it's it's good news for the world as a whole. You know, the... Uh, not to start quoting Alex Epstein's book or anything like that, but the prospect of having a large portion of the world's energy come from a a politically stable democracy is a very cool thing, and not just for people in the United States. So I think that's one change we'll see over the next decade, and it's, it's certainly a positive one. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Joel, so much for joining us. And I'm really looking forward to the podcast and getting some more great guests and helping people learn and really figure out how to help manage their risk and legal issues and in ways that we don't even know about yet to know to, that we're missing. So exciting stuff. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. If you guys could do me a favor and like, leave a review for this podcast, that's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues. Mm-hmm.